0: I thought it was really interesting that the approach taken by the majority here was very strident in favor of the property right uh, and uh, used language like forcible access and, you know, government sanctioned trespassing and things that were, you know, pretty strong language. Um, So I think you do see a signal there towards the courts being um, more inclined to look very closely at anything that impugns a property owner's interest. And often in agriculture, we see those things in areas like uh, everything from water rights to licensing requirements and other similar things. So if it does signal anything, I think it's a doubling down, I guess, on uh, the strength of the property owner's uh, rights and interests kind of against state that would seek to regulate that, particularly physically getting onto the farm.
1: It's time for conversations about our food and how it's grown on Farm to Table Talk with your host, Roger Wasson. Farm to Table has a lot of steps. And one thing that happens, I think, all the way from farm to table, there's people that are working, there's labor involved. We're at a time of year where everybody's enjoying their fresh fruit that's that's coming available. Uh, and so it's time to slow down and think a little bit about the process of all the people that are in the stage. And again, it includes Labor, And we're going to talk about that today because something's come up recently as a decision by the Supreme Court that has implications for, for unions, actually, that takes place in farming operations. And, and I'm really happy to welcome Michael Droke to Farm to Table Talk. Michael, thank you. You are an attorney and Correct. you work with agricultural organizations. Your firm, maybe explain who your firm is because people might wonder you know, well, everybody, if a, if a lawyer is involved, the lawyer must have clients. So, <laughs> are the kind of people that you tend to, your firm represents that are, have an interest in, a, like, the Supreme Court decision on unions.
0: Yeah, so I'm a, a senior partner at Dorsey and Whitney Law firm. Uh, we're uh, based in the Midwest uh, but have offices in California, in the Northwest, and really all across the US. Uh, one of I think partly because of where the firm was founded, but we have a very strong food beverages, agriculture and cooperatives practice. Uh, that industry, has about 250 lawyers attend regularly uh, the meetings of the industry. And those lawyers run the gamut, everything from corporate, corporate finance, labor, employment regulatory, drone uh, uh, regulations, Patent filing, we work with uh, large uh, co-ops in the Midwest, uh, like Lando Lakes, uh, CHS, and the like. So, and then also uh, growers and packing houses in California, which is really where I spend my work, is on the West Coast.
1: Well, let's jump all the way up to the Supreme Court, because what's been in the news and what kind of led me to touching base with you was that the U.S. Supreme Court has made a decision that has implications for, I don't even want to go any further than that, uh, other than the fact that it involves trying to organize unions and farming operations. But if you would... Explain what the decision was of the Supreme Court, and then we'll back all the way back to the farms and what the implications are of this.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So uh, first, the case is uh, named Cedar Point Nursery versus a and it was uh, issued yesterday by by the United States Supreme Court. It dealt with an issue that's somewhat unique to California farming operations in that uh, there is a, a law that governs labor relations in that. Uh, for those employers and those growers that allows labor unions the right to forcibly have access to the company's property, the grower's farm itself, in order to meet directly with workers and organize them. And so the case itself questioned whether that law california's law was constitutional under the federal constitution the fifth amendment which we usually think of as pleading the fifth but this is different and then also the 14th amendment uh which uh, applies the first 10 to the states so the court ultimately held that it was unconstitutional
1: now, as I understand it, uh, National Labor Relations Act, maybe, uh, covers the, the organization for non-agriculture. How in the world did that ever happen? I mean, why is, had there even been a double standard in the first place? Then, I mean, if it's right for one side, I don't understand why it isn't right for the, uh, for the other side. So, so is it right that the uh, NLR, NLRA prohibits this sort of thing to take place unless – it's agriculture. Was that true?
0: Yeah. So, uh, briefly the national labor relations act was started in 1935, really as a way to create labor peace based on strikes that were occurring at that time. And at that time, if you think about what was agriculture and what kind of employees were working and how, how many of them were working in agriculture, it was a very different world. The, uh, the, the, you know, interest groups and the like on all sides of that equation, uh, uh, ultimately, uh, were able to get an exemption for agriculture. And that was true, not just for labor law, but other things as well. So there have been either agricultural exemptions or special rules that have applied over the years to wage and hour practices and a variety of other things where the legislatures has recognized that, uh, that on-farm agriculture uh, was different in its nature than other kinds of employment.
1: Well, in, I understand that. Because it, it, it is different than other types of employment, but oftentimes you think that that means they cut them a little slack, and this is just the opposite. I mean, in, in this particular case, it seems like it, it allowed the rights to be much more kind of invasive, uh, to, to be actually go onto the property and organize where they couldn't do that in a non-farm situation.
0: Yeah, that's that's right. I mean, I, I agree with uh, the idea of cutting slack. The question is uh, in favor of whom, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, in the agrico- so in 1975, uh, the uh, California legislature approved the California-specific Agricultural Labor Relations Act, and that did create different and easier to meet standards for unions in a variety of different areas. The one that was at issue in Cedar Point Nursery, but also some others as well.
1: So did any other state follow suit, or has this been strictly a California thing all along?
0: It's, it's largely a California thing, exactly. So there's no, no other state has adopted quite the same regulatory construct that California has.
1: So let's paint a picture for people that are going to get confused right now, and their only connection with this <laughs> is that they're enjoying these delicious peaches that are starting to be Absolutely. available. At the, both Buy at the more. July 4th
0: and- is coming up here.
1: I know, I know. I love this time of year because of the peaches are, are are so good. So they have to know that the, in many cases, those peaches are handpicked by somebody, and and so as they take a bite of that juicy peach, they should, you know stop to think and thank a thank a worker, thank a farmer, thank all the people along the stage. But but let's paint a picture for people about what might have been happening before and how that's going to be changing now. So what have been the practices uh, that i guess the original people that brought this brought this case up and, and challenged it what was a situation that they found so difficult to operate the way that the the unions were able to have access onto the farms for example
0: yeah so uh first all, i'll also excuse me uh, first i'll start with what happens unless you're uh an agriculture employer because uh, just as a foundation for uh, who who are we talking about here, uh, agriculture typically includes on-farm operations. So the people who are doing picking, uh, maybe sorting on the farm, sometimes uh, field packing uh, that is happening on the farm. And then in many cases, that the, the uh, product is shipped to a packing house where it's washed, where it's separately packed and the like. And it might be packed for a variety of different other uh you know, companies as well. Uh, for the on-farm, that's covered by the state law. And then the general packing shed would be covered under the Federal National Labor Relations Act. So what's different for the on-farm operations is that the, uh, whereas for the, the federal statute, a, a, a union is not allowed to physically come onto the property. The employer has a right to say no trespassing. Under the state law, That is not true. The labor union representing farm workers can establish that they have a minimum number. It's 10% of the expected group. And then they can serve what's called a notice of intent to access and intent to organize. And then they have a right to actually physically come onto the property for uh, periods of time, up to 120 uh, different times for a few hours at a time uh, to meet individually with workers. There's also limitations on the number of uh, union organizers who could uh, be allowed on the property. So it's very, very different uh, in that it and, and this was the important aspect from the supreme court's decision the state law uh, allows uh, effectively a, a right to trespass or a right to pro- to pass onto another person's property which is a which is a normal property interest and they did that without basically paying something to the uh, to to the company and that was considered to be unconstitutional
1: You know, if you drive through California, especially in the summertime, in the harvest time, you can go by fields that, uh, say, for example, at break time, uh, they have shade put up and cold water, but they have certain uh, times where they can have, have break. What I've and I've stopped before to be able to kind of wander out and and sometimes be able to you you could you know speak to some of the the laborers that, uh, with somebody that's with you and see what's going on in the fields and I mean with the with the farmers uh, agreement that you kind of wander out there so you see what it's like there I guess what I'm getting at is when the when the break time is taking place uh, the workers are usually literally checking smartphones i was amazed that everybody's checking smartphones but also warming up some some uh, some snacks they may open a thermos and sometimes even have a a warmer that they're they're cooking some something that uh, for a snack or something like that now the question i would wonder would in those days when they were really not only going onto the property uh but did they have to be careful, like, to not be going when they're actually working? I mean, that they would try to go out during the break time or the lunchtime, something like that?
0: Yeah. So your your question evokes really kind of two responses. Um, uh, first is that regardless of the Supreme Court decision, a union could always drive a, a field or a valley, look for the kind of stand that you're talking about uh, and or a Group of cars at the side of a field, and then wait for break time, and talk to the workers off farm premises on their break time or, or after work. So that nothing about the case changes. That what's unique about the California law is that they were able to say, "We want to come on uh, to your farm and uh, and talk to workers for periods of time." As I mentioned, uh, you know some limitations there but to physically come on to, to the property to talk to the workers. Now, the workers theoretically would be, have to take break time during the time that they're talking to the union organizer. However, remembering that much of the time it, the work is done on a piece rate basis. So they're kind of a bit on a break in any event because they're talking, uh, they're either um, continuing uh, to pick and therefore you know still on working time, but working and, or uh, would be on a, a break and, and not receiving compensation for that time,
1: well, I would imagine the other workers didn't like that much too. I mean they might have been all for for unions, but if somebody's out there kind of getting in their way when uh, their income is tied to doing it quickly and getting getting volumes, and they directly impact how much money they make by being able to be um I, I guess, you know, move fast, not have people standing around getting in their getting their roads. So I would, I would suspect that many of the laborers as well would just say, Hey, look, kind of let's do this a break or let's do this off property. So.
0: Yeah. I mean, p- people's uh, opinions vary uh, obviously, and that includes the farm workers as to what they uh, want for sure.
1: When, another question I'd have is that we're talking about laborers that uh, we tend to say all produce but did this have any implications for potential organization and livestock operations like the feedlots or the large poultry operations or, uh, and, and we have very large dairies in the state. And some of them I would imagine would be potentially have organization going on. Did it have implications beyond produce?
0: Absolutely. Uh, there is a, a definition of what is agriculture and that includes a variety of different things that are much broader than leafy green or other kinds of things. In fact, both the Agriculture Labor Relations Act and also the federal National Labor Relations Act uh, include things like uh, dairying specifically, uh, cultivation, uh, any raising of livestock, bees, fur bearing animals, poultry. So much, much broader than somebody who's picking in the field.
1: We don't really have many of the hog operations like they have in the Midwest. So there's a lot of pork operations that are huge. There's a couple of farms that produce literally millions on uh, many, many different properties. And I would assume that, and some of them are affiliated with packing plants. It really doesn't exist in California uh, to speak of. I think there's only a couple of good-sized hog operations. We have some very large dairies, though, in the state. Some of the largest in the country, and we've got a couple of cattle feedlots and quite a few poultry operations. And so, all of the stories I've heard about the decision just all allude to the impact on, again, produce on fresh fruits and 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 vegetables. So I'm glad I asked you that because it just
0: yeah you know,
1: the fact that this is a broader agricultural implication than what might have been suggested by the press releases?
0: Yeah, yeah, I think it's a really good question. And it comes to some degree from history, because the law was really generated through activism at the time, back in 1975, in the early 70s, through the United Farm Workers movement, which was largely seasonal uh, picking operations and the like. The uh, other reason why it's a little bit different for those operations is that with the others that you described, whether it's, you know, dairy, feedlots, uh, poultry, and the like, they tend to be year round, they tend to have regular workforce that's there all the time, Uh, they tend to have areas where Kind of standard union organizing can occur, things like parking lots for employees or places nearby where everybody goes for lunch, that kind of thing. And so we don't tend to see that, although the law might apply to them in the same way, we don't get the kinds of intents to organize and to access the property because it just isn't needed. And typically the unions want to keep things under wraps until they have what they feel is a majority of the of the group that's
1: interested. So unions still do organization and they're, they they just can't do it on these private properties. And, and Mm -hmm. and now in that way, California, which produces what 60% of all of the, the salad makings, you know, everything, fruits and vegetables and everything in the, in the whole country come from California, but now they are really on more equal footing with um, what producers face in the rest of the country. The people that are disappointed, I suppose might be those people that were using the the little more aggressive practices but any other anything else that you see as far as the predictably I would guess some of the unions think that this is a bad thing but uh, other than that any anything that's that you've observed in this process that you know might have been surprising
0: you know it's a it's a great question and there are um, aspects of it that lead to really long-standing law in the state of California in particular that's gone to the Supreme Court multiple times. Uh, I I don't want to get too arcane technical uh, for the listeners, but it really addresses the question about when can a state require someone to let somebody onto their property or, or to use their property uh, in, in the ordinary course. and So one of the cases involved the Prune Yard Shopping Center uh, in the Campbell San Jose area uh, years ago in which the question was, does a, um, uh, a, a, a a place that's holding itself out as the public square have a duty to allow people to come and set up shop and put, um, uh, you, know, you know, give their speech or whatever they would want to do in that, in that location. And so people quickly figured out once that case happened that they should put a little brass thing at every entrance saying that we reserve the right to do various things and including to uh, exclude people. Uh, and so this is that case was discussed uh, extensively in the decision yesterday. And uh, really address the, the question about uh, when is it acceptable for a, a, um, a state to, to say that someone could come on your property. So any other regulation that would allow access or require uh, somebody to, to come on to somebody else's property is something that would be you know, even more suspect under this decision.
1: Well, you know, I think in people listening to this say, ah, California, uh, and that they wouldn't be surprised that California has some different rules than others. They might be surprised that it kind of gets realigned and that you know, gets, you know, after a period of time and appeals and everything else and years and years on this particular case yeah. that, you know, there, there ends up being a more common law of the land, which I guess is the Supreme court's job, uh, is I'm curious is. Do you see some related cases that are coming down the pike that will further define this or uh, affect these kind of issues that are making their way to the Supreme Court related to uh, restricting, maybe not just unions, but something you see coming down that everybody should be keeping an eye on that could eventually get to the Supreme Court and have implications for how food is produced and, and regulated in the country?
0: Yeah, I thought I thought it was really interesting that the approach taken by the majority here was very strident in favor of the property right, uh, and uh, used language like forcible access and you know san- government sanctioned trespassing and things that were you know pretty strong language. Um, so I think you do see a signal there towards the courts being um, more inclined to look very closely at anything that impugns a property owner's interest. And often in agriculture, we see those things in areas like uh, everything from water rights to licensing requirements and other similar things. So if, if it does signal anything, I think it's a... Uh, a a doubling down, I guess, on uh, the strength of the property owner's uh, rights and interests uh, kind of against state uh, that would seek to regulate that and 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 in particular physically getting onto the farm.
1: Well, a lot of people have talked about the Supreme Court and saw that the the balance of the Supreme Court has been changing and have been looking forward these various decisions and Certainly, this is one of the first, but probably not the last that have implications for agriculture. Michael, I appreciate your helping us paint that picture and explaining what the implications are. I I hope that, you know, people do pause uh, when they're enjoying that juicy beach and others and and think of the fact that uh, it goes, there's people that have their hands on the fruit that are taking it off the tree and they're sorting it and doing all these other things of these farms that are producing what we've come to almost take for granted uh, across the country. And I think still rest assured that that there will be uh, union organizing going on where that where it's desired and it just will not be going into personal private properties. It will be, like you said, breaks and off off the grounds and so forth just like it is in the other 49 states so so michael people that care about these kind of issues and wanting to to understand what's happening or even understand this decision more and implications is there someplace they look to be able to learn more about it if they do want to understand more than we've talked about today
0: um yeah so so first just uh Uh, in total agreement about the importance of the food supply chain. We learned during COVID that not only is it essential, but also that it's part of our national security infrastructure. And so the, that peach that we enjoy is, is something that is uh, part of an ecosystem uh, of, as you said, farm to table that's just essential for, for uh, the country. So yes, there are a couple of, for people who are interested in this decision and its implications, there are a couple of uh, places to go to get more information. First is there is a, a really good blog uh, out there called SCOTUS. S-C-O-T-U-S, Supreme Court of the United States uh, blog. Uh, And they do a really good job of summarizing cases. Also, our uh, law firm has a client alert on the topic uh, at Dorsey, D-O-R-S-E-Y.com. And we have their links to both the decision itself, if people are interested, uh, and then also a link to the uh, Agriculture Labor Relations Board's summary of the statute, which is very well done, very uh, plain uh, English drafted. Uh, so it does a great job of explaining you know, where, what the Agriculture Labor Relations Act is, to whom it applies, and the like.
1: Well, Michael, thank you. Michael Droke, I appreciate your being on Farm to Table Talk. Listeners to Farm to Table Talk aren't too used to connecting with the Supreme Court. There's all kinds of things we talk about, but it really has an impact on, again, how food reaches our table. You've been listening to Farm to Table Talk with your host, Roger Wasson. If you like what you hear, go to farmtotabletalk.com and follow us